I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to play a new game with people that have played that game multiple times, and it's your first experience in that game. I don't like that scenario, because inevitably what happens is I'm in the game, I'm playing the game, I'm, I'm at the point of the game where strategy is pivotal, and all of a sudden somebody that's playing the game with me that's played it many times starts to do something that I didn't know you could do. And so I say, what are you doing? And they say, well, I'm playing the game. I'm like, Wait a minute. You didn't tell me that that was a part of the game? And they say, oh, we forgot about that part. I'm like, well, if I'd have known that, it would have changed everything. Do you ever feel like that? If you'd have just known this one little piece of information, it would have changed everything? Well, listen, today, Easter Sunday, the story of Easter is that piece of information in the rules of life that changes everything. And it's a piece of information everyone should know. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and hear what Paul has to say to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, back in the back end of your New Testament, starting in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures." And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. In this passage, Paul gives us an incredible picture of what it means as a Christian to believe and what the Christian believes in. It's a great picture of of what, as a Christian, we believe in and what belief actually looks like. Now, he starts with talking about the Corinthians' belief in the gospel. And he describes it in basically three terms here that I think makes it this idea of Christian faith make a lot of sense. He says that the Corinthians received the message of the gospel. That was the first term he used to describe their belief in what he was telling them, that they received it. I don't know if you've ever been driving down the highway, kind of minding your own business, going from point A to point B, driving along there, and all of a sudden you look in the rearview mirror and behind you see the highway patrol with the lights on. You ever had that experience? I mean, I've heard about what that's like. I've never personally had that experience. Whatever. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. You're driving along, and the highway patrolman, you pull over, and you, you, you know, you're immediately getting your driver's license out, your, your car insurance, and he walks up to the window and you know, and you roll down the window and you give him your information. And he says, well, you're speeding today and I'm going to write down your information. I'm going to go check everything. I'm going to come back with a ticket. And you're like, 
I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm really grateful for what... I mean, do you, do you do that? I mean, I find myself thanking him for giving me a ticket, but I don't feel thankful in that moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? I just start saying those things because I don't know what else to say because I just don't like that moment. And so he goes back to his car. He does his thing. He brings back that piece of paper, and he hands me the ticket. And what do I do? I receive it. Then I roll up the window, and I talk about how I can't believe that happened. I can't believe I got caught. I'm so mad about this. Is there a mistake on the ticket? Is the date wrong? Is there something he did wrong here? Maybe he down my license plate wrong. Maybe something I can do to appeal this ticket. There's no way I got a ticket. Are you with me on that? I mean, it's just so frustrating, and, and yet you take that ticket, and you thank him for it. But that's not the kind of receiving that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians. No, this kind of receiving is the kind of receiving of something that you want that you're excited about getting, that you can't believe you've received and been offered the opportunity of taking. I mean, if the deputy sheriff showed up at my door today carrying two or three bags of DeWalt tools, I mean, after I got everything stolen in the last couple of months, if he carried all these tools that were mine to my front door, I'd be like, bring it in, have some cake, we're going to party here. I mean, I'd be excited, I'd be ready to receive that because I need it, I want it, and I want it back. You see what I'm saying? And so that's the kind of receive that Paul's talking about when he said the Corinthians heard the message of the gospel, you guys received it because you loved it, you wanted it, you had to have it, and you weren't going to let it go. And then he talks about that they stood in the gospel message. So they received it with joy. They received it with excitement because it's what they wanted, what they needed, and they stood in it. Now, most of you in here know that I went to A&M and I'm an Aggie, and while I was there at A&M, I had a blood transfusion, and now I bleed maroon. And that's just what happens when you go there. Those kinds of things happen. And you also probably have heard the fact that A&M is moving to the SEC. Now, this is not good for A&M football. We're going to be the losingest team in college football. I mean, it's going to be terrible. We're going to lose tons of games. We're going to just be beat up by everybody. We have this new coach who's probably going to get fired in two or three years, and we're not going to be able to hire somebody except somebody that's probably coached volleyball or something. I mean, it's just it's going to be awful. But here's the deal that's not going to change. I am not going to change teams. I will be an Aggie regardless of what happens because I am standing in that That's what Paul's talking about. He says, when you received the gospel, you stood in it. Meaning, you were not going to be moved from it. No matter what happened, no matter what tragedy, no matter what difficulty, no matter what unexpected or unforeseen circumstance, you were standing in the truth. That's what it means to believe with the Christian faith. You receive the message of the gospel because you want it, you need it, you can't believe you've been offered it. You stand in it so that no matter what happens, you are not moved from that truth. You stay in Christ. And then he says that you will be saved if you hold fast to the word which he preached to them. If you hold fast. Now this week on Tuesday... Four pastors here. We're going to go to a pastor's conference together. We're really excited. We've never done anything like that all together. And so we're really excited about making this trip together. And what we got in the mail several weeks ago, probably about six weeks ago or something, we got in the mail this wristband. And with the wristband came this letter that said, if you don't have this wristband, you will not get into the arena to experience the pastor's conference. This wristband is your entrance. If you don't have it, You're not getting in. So you know what I did? My first thought was, 
I'm going to lose this wristband. I guarantee I'm going to lose it. So what I did was I went ahead and packed it in the bag that I'm taking with me. Six weeks ago, it's been in that bag ever since I got it because I'm going to hold fast to that wristband because there's no way I'm getting in without it. So I made every precaution to make sure I end up there with that wristband. That is the Christian faith. The Christian faith is holding fast to the gospel so that you never let it go. You cling to it, you grasp it, you hold it, and you stay in it. The Christian faith is a faith that does not let go of Jesus Christ. Holds fast because we know that you do not enter the kingdom of heaven except through faith in Jesus Christ. You're not getting into heaven if you don't have the wristband of faith in the gospel. And so you cling to it. You don't let it go. You don't depart from it. You stand in it. You receive with joy. That's what it means to believe as a Christian. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, everyone who believes in Christ as a Christian ends up in heaven because they cling to the gospel. That's what it means to believe as a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul makes it clear that's what the Corinthians have done. They've accepted Christ. Now, let's be specific about what we really are believing. Paul gives us three simple points about what it means to believe in the gospel and what you're believing in when you place your faith in the gospel. And the first thing he says to them in verse 3 is that he delivered to them what he also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So the first point of the gospel, what we believe in as Christians, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, just like the Scripture said He would. So Jesus Christ came on the earth, He lived a sinless life as the Son of God, and He intentionally and willfully chose to lay down His life and be crucified on the cross because He was dying for our sins. Every single one of us have sinned against God. We've, we've fallen short of God's glory. And what we earned by that action of sin against God is the penalty of death. And so that every one of us are deserving of God's wrath. But Jesus Christ came and He took our penalty. He received the just wrath of God that was due us so that we might be forgiven of our sins. So that anyone and everyone in this room today that places their faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you might be forgiven of the sins that are really supposed to receive the wrath of God. Jesus received it for you so that you might be forgiven. And that happened just like the Scriptures said it would happen. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter 53. Look back to Isaiah, about the middle of your Bible. You get the Psalms, then you just take a right couple books in your Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 and 6. It says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Christ, on Jesus. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And then he says in verse 4 that he was buried 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Psalm 16.10 says, God says that his Holy One, the Messiah, would not see decay, that he wouldn't be in the grave long enough to see any kind of decay. There was another plan other than him staying in the grave. It was coming out of that grave alive and risen as the conquering Savior. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, and in rising again from the the dead, overcame death. So in His death, He conquered sin so that we might be forgiven, and in His resurrection, He conquered death so that we might never again be afraid of what our sins earned us. We might be forgiven, and we might be alive through trusting in Jesus Christ who rose again. That's exactly what the Scriptures communicate. Look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, the Scripture says, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Jesus put an end to the agony of death. That is the message of the gospel. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and then Paul says he appeared to a whole lot of people so that he stirred in the witnesses' hearts a boldness to proclaim the message of a risen Savior, and thus begins the spread of the gospel. And Paul says he first appeared to Peter. Peter, who denied Jesus three times as Jesus was on trial, said he didn't even know him. And Jesus appears to Peter, so that Peter might know that Jesus was alive, that Jesus loved him. And Jesus could forgive his sins. Jesus also appeared to the apostles. These are the guys who, when Jesus was being arrested in the garden, all ran away because they were scared for their very lives. These are the guys who, when the Marys came back from the tomb saying, Jesus has been risen, they said, we don't believe you. Hard-hearted, former followers of Jesus Christ, the apostles. Jesus appeared to the apostles so that they would know He is alive, that He loves them, and that He can forgive their sins. Then Jesus appeared to hundreds more, so that everyone could see that He really was alive. He ate with them, He hung out with them, He spoke to them, He taught them, He encouraged them, so that they might know He is alive, that He loves them, and that he can forgive their sins. He appeared to James, his half-brother. We saw James and his brothers and sisters, they they rejected Jesus Christ in the gospel. Jesus appears to his family member so that his family member might know that he created him, that he died for him, that he loves him, that he can be forgiven. It's amazing. Then we hear from Paul that Jesus appeared to Paul. According to Paul, he deserved it less than anybody else alive. And so this least deserving person had Jesus come to him and Jesus changed his life. And Paul tells us, gives us a little glimpse into the power of the grace of God and the gospel of Christ when one receives it, stands in it, and holds fast to it. You know the story. 
Paul, who at that time was named Saul, he's walking down the road to Damascus because he's on his way to persecute Christians. He wants to persecute people who believe that Jesus Christ is alive because Paul believes Jesus Christ is dead and anybody following Jesus Christ is an abomination to God. So Paul's on his way to Damascus, a firm believer that Jesus Christ is dead, and this whole thing about Christianity is a farce and an abomination to God. He's walking down that road, and all of a sudden, this bright light hits him. He's immobilized in the middle of the ground, and this voice booms out from the heaven and says, Why are you persecuting me? At this point, Paul's thinking, I persecuted a lot of people, and I didn't know anybody had this kind of clout. I mean... He's persecuted a lot of folks. And so his question is, who are you? You know what he hears? This reverberating voice that brings everything into clarity. He hears these words. I am Jesus. And this is the moment that Paul realizes Jesus is not dead He is alive. He's more than alive. He is the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He overcame sin and death, and He's here to change my life. And Paul believes in Him, and this one who is persecuting Christians becomes one of the most persecuted followers of Christ the world has seen. This one who is an enemy of Jesus becomes His most devoted follower. This one who can't stand the idea that Jesus is the Christ becomes the one who proclaims it at great expense to his own comfort and life. He lays down his life for Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ changed everything. That's exactly what Jesus Christ does because he's alive. Because Jesus Christ is alive, he takes sinners like you and me and he changes us and the grace of God conforms us and he gives us a life we never could have imagined having. He makes us what he intended us to be because as as our creator, he has made provision through his death and resurrection to transform us so that we reflect his glory. There's nothing like the risen Savior. And then we come to verse 12, which is the reason why Paul is is including this section of the letter in his writing to Corinth. Verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he says, wait a minute, I've explained what it means to receive, stand in, and hold fast to the gospel. Now, if you guys have heard this message and you have believed this message, or so you say, then how is it that some of you actually believe that when you die, that's all there is? There's no resurrection for the dead for you. How is it that you guys who have accepted the message of Christ's resurrection live today as if there's no resurrection for you. You act like all there is to life is what you're doing right now. And you live like it doesn't matter at all that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for the way you're living today. I described how a Christian believes and that's not how a Christian believes. A Christian believes in such a way that Jesus' risen life changes everything. You can't live today like there is no eternity. It doesn't measure up. There's a major problem with that kind of belief. And Paul explains how significant that kind of belief, 
how significant the problem is of that kind of belief. Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Okay, that's a serious problem. If you believe or live like that Christ's death and resurrection doesn't matter for your life because there is nothing after this life, well then, your belief and action in this life is simply saying, Jesus has not risen from the dead. And then he goes on and makes it even more clear. He says, if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. So these words that I'm saying to you today, vanity, what you've believed in, vanity, it doesn't matter because there is no gospel. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, there's no good news. He continues, verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. If you act like there's no life after death, then Jesus Christ has not been raised. If Jesus Christ has not been raised, then what I'm doing right now is lying to you. What you're doing every single day when you tell somebody or demonstrate to somebody that you believe Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, if He's not risen from the dead, you're lying. And that means if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, that every one of us is, we're just a bunch of liars. We sit on the throne of lies, we smell like beef and cheese or something like that. I mean, we are just a bunch of pretenders. That's all we are if Jesus Christ has not been risen from the dead. It doesn't get any better. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your sins have not been forgiven. They will never be forgiven. You have no hope for remedy for your sinfulness. And every one of us have sinned. No hope. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What that means is that everybody that has trusted in Christ and has died is nothing but a pile of dirt sitting in a coffin. No hope. Zero. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. You know what that means? It means that every one of us sitting in this room that believes that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead are the biggest losers in the world. We have gathered today as the church of the biggest losers if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead. That's all we are, losers. But Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is alive. And amazingly enough, this passage is not a defense of the resurrection. Paul is not defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ at all. He's not creating a defense for the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's not the issue. Everybody in Corinth that's receiving this believes that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's proved. It's evidence. There's no question. It's not a dilemma. It's not an issue at all. They know Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's a fact that so many of them experience and witness. They've heard people that saw it. They know. You know what the issue is? Some of them are living like it doesn't matter. For their life in the moment. And Paul has a serious problem with that. Because he knows. If you believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It changes everything. 
Think about what it's like when you go to the cemetery. You go to a cemetery and you're looking at the gravestones. You know what you're going to do? Within five minutes of walking into that cemetery, you're going to start doing math. You will. You'll look at the gravestone and you'll see the day they were born and you'll look at the date that they died and you'll do math. And you'll begin to say, well, he was, he was only 47. Well, she, was, she was 89. She was a lot older than that guy. Well, this one was only 12. And no matter what age you add up and subtract and all that in the, in the graveyard, in the cemetery, you know what you're going to come away with feeling? The same feeling you feel when you go to a funeral, the same feeling when you, the, that you feel when you hear somebody who has a terminal disease, the same feeling you feel when you, when you hear somebody that is in a car wreck and dies. You're going to feel this feeling. It's going to come out in a phrase or an idea, something like this. Man, life is far too short. Life is just so short. Died when they were 32. Died when they were 70. It's too short. That's what you say when you look at, at life through the lens of death. You know what you say when you look at life and death through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You say, death is too short. Because you recognize that when you die, You don't really die. You pass from this life into the next. You pass from this life, which everything is not really about, into the next life, which which everything is about the next life. You know, the reality is that we're all dying. Every one of us in here is dying. At least our physical bodies are wasting away. It seems like we're all dying. Some of us in here will probably die of something um, like a disease or a car wreck, something that makes us die in a way that we would all say, boy, they died before their time or whatever. And, and some of us may have the, the opportunity to, to grow old and die of old age, whatever that is. And, uh, and, and so we're all in the process of dying, but when you look at it through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know what we're really doing? We're not dying. We're just waiting. And some of us happen to have to wait longer than others. We're all just waiting. And we're waiting for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for us, who rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. We're waiting for Him to come and take us home to spend eternity with Him. Because this life is not what it's all about. Eternity is what it's all about. Jesus Christ dying for us and rising again from the dead changes everything about life and death. We are waiting for the return of our living Savior. You know what was going on all week this last week? All week this last week around the world, you know what was happening? There were people around the world who were taking a trip to Sri Lanka. Did you know that? People were headed to Sri Lanka. You know why? they were going to visit the place where Buddha is buried. That's what they were doing. Did you know a lot of people were going to Saudi Arabia this last week? Tens of thousands went to Saudi Arabia this last week and went to Medina in order to to visit the place where Muhammad is buried. Do you know where nobody went this last week? 
They didn't, nobody in the entire world went to the place where Jesus Christ was buried. Because he's not in the tomb. He's alive, he's risen, and he's changed everything. And what that means for you, what that means for me, is that what we believed in is not in vain. What we proclaim is not a lie. The belief that our sins have been forgiven is not vanity. Our sins have really been forgiven. Those who have died before us in Christ are not piles of dirt in the ground. They're with Jesus Christ today waiting for His glorious return. It means that everything we believed in matters and we are not the world's biggest losers. We are actually the hope of the world. This message is the one piece of information that changes everything. And everybody ought to know it. What I'm praying today is that we would never be asked this question. That not a person in this room would ever be asked the question, why do you believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead? When you don't live like it today. No. I want us to be a people. Who believe. In the risen Savior. And celebrate. His life. Every single day. Easter. Is every day. Because Jesus Christ changes every moment. Of the rest of our eternity. Jesus Christ changes everything. Live like it and tell somebody about it.